Welcome to It's Time, the daily teaching ministry from the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. On today's episode of It's Time, we'll listen to Senior Pastor Mike Kessler as he teaches in the book of 2 Samuel. This book is especially important as it focuses entirely on the life of King David, the line of Christ. Examining the triumphs and troubles of David, we can learn a lot about being a person after God's own heart. With the timely study on 2 Samuel, here's Pastor Mike. God says, what house will you build for me? Heaven is my throne and earth is my little thing that I rest my feet on. What house will you build for me? What building could you ever build that can contain God? Well, you know, it's interesting. There's only one place, container, that the Bible says can be contained by God, and that is in your heart. And so I think it's interesting that God will put his whole Holy Spirit, all the power of the universe, inside of your life. And that's one of the things that we have that we can trust him for. And so as we continue on here, looking at 2 Samuel chapter 8, we now find the conquest of David. David first, and I think it's important, dealt with the spiritual issues of Israel. He brought the Ark of the Covenant back. He endeavored to build a place for it, even though the Lord stopped him. That was his heart. Now David goes out and begins to secure the borders of Israel. And so even though, and you'll notice this a little farther on in the chapter, even though David had quite an extensive um, international plan, you might say, He took care of his people on the homeward front, as we'll read. And so David was a good king in that regard. So let's just pray. Father, as we go to your word tonight, we thank you that we have the opportunity to study it and learn from it. And so, Lord, for each person listening, may you cause us to remember these things, and may we be able to apply them in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. And so it says, after this, it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines and subdued them. And David took uh, Metheg... Amma from the hand of the Philistines. Now, it's interesting. This is uh, primarily in the area of Gath, which was one of the the principal cities uh, in which uh, David uh, at one time hung out in. And it was really one of their principal areas. And so by capturing this area, David pretty much held the Philistines at bay. Uh, and so that was one of the first places he went after. Now, of course, David knew the land of the Philistines really well. He hid out there for a lot of years. And so uh, really knowing their inside secrets, you might say, their inside hideouts, uh, didn't leave them a lot of room. And of course, with God's blessing in David's life, it was a take that he took. And so... Then he says, then it says that he defeated Moab, forcing them on the ground, and he measured off with a line. And with two lines, he measured off those to be put to death, and one full line to be kept alive. So the Moabites became David's servants, and he brought them tribute. Now, uh, this seems awful cruel, but there's some stories around that it's very much possible that the Moabites are maybe who killed uh, his father and mother. And so I uh, don't know exactly all the details here, but for whatever reason it was, uh, David drew a line and allowed half of them to live and the other half he put to death. And they became uh, the ones that remained alive, uh, end up paying taxes to him, tribute to him uh, because of uh, the things, I believe, primarily the things of the past as well. Now, what actually David is doing here is establishing the borders in which God had promised to the children of Israel, but because the children of Israel under Joshua, when they came in the promised land and subsequently through other leadership, they did not give up the the gods of the land that they came in to destroy. Uh, They lost a lot of that territory in which God originally gave them. Now we find David going back and establishing 
the territory that God gave to the nation of Israel. So it says here then in verse uh, 3, it says, David defeated uh, Hadadizir, the son of Rahab, the king of Zobah, which is in the land of Syria. If you uh, know on your maps there up to the north uh, east of Israel, it says he went and uh, to recover his territory at the river Euphrates. And so we're now finding again these uh, earlier boundaries of Israel being reestablished under David. And, and again, you know, when, when ungodly leadership comes into a nation, things are always lost. Freedoms are lost. Territories are lost. All these things are a consequence of ungodly leadership. Uh, when godly, uh, the Bible says, reign, the people rejoice. Because again, things are restored back. There's, uh, there's equity. There's, there is justice and these things. And this is what always lacks uh, in, a, in a country that has been given over to um, ungodliness because bribery becomes the established uh, way of doing business. Uh, we, we see a lot of these different things going on right now, even in our own country, as a lot of the, uh, you might say, the Supreme Court judges have, have um, actually um, turned away from the, really the principles that we weren't founded on. This most recent one was the private ownership of land. Now the government can come in and basically seize it and, and give it for some of the reason. And, and it's a tragedy because um, uh, this was what uh, really the people that came from England and Europe came to America to escape because the government became so heavy-handed on the people. They could do whatever they want and there was little recourse of the people. And so uh, you find that when people move away from God or people who were away from God appoint judges, uh, the, the result of that is always going to be lost freedoms as we move away from the principles of God's word. Because again, God is the initiator of freedom in people's lives. And so we find here that David took from him, speaking of um, uh, Hadazir, 100 uh, excuse me, 1,000 chariots, 700 horsemen, 20,000 foot soldiers, and David hamstrung all the chariot horses except that he spared enough of them for 100 chariots. It's interesting here that he made the horses not able to pull chariots. Uh, of course, these horses weren't just horses. They were trained uh, to do what they do. Um, just as you would find racehorses today at the racetracks doing what they do. Uh, and so David, rather than uh, um, taking a chance on um, uh, Syria regrouping an army, uh, David basically wiped out their arsenal and uh, seized a lot of the things and, and uh, made it so the horses were uh, inoperable for um, running long distances. Uh, verse 5, it says, And when the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadazir, king of Zobah, uh, actually in the land of the Syria, David killed 22,000 of the Syrians. So that whole area up there uh, became quite a loss for the enemy. Uh, they lost property and they lost lives in doing that. David put garrisons in Syria uh, of Damascus, and the Syrians became David's servants and brought him tribute. The Lord preserved David wherever he went. Now I think it's important here that we see that David through maybe even a little bit of a rough past, you might say. Some of the things that he had gone through, God's blessing was upon uh, David. And uh, because of David's love for God, his faithfulness, first thing he did when he came to be king is he, the first major thing you see is, is he endeavors to go out and try to bring the ark, which, would be, which was at Kerjes German, ever since the Philistines returned it 
after it had done all the crazy, God done all the crazy things to him uh, when they brought it in the temple of Dagon and Dagon's statue fell on the, on the ground before it and broke its head off and all these crazy things. Uh, this, the, the Philistines said, let's get this thing out of here. Again, they put it on an ox cart. It crossed over into the land of Israel and there it stayed at Kerjath Jarman until David moved it from that place. Um, one of the things that's, uh, again, uh, important to realize is that is that um, David, uh, and, and by the way, that was at the, that was the time of uh, early of, of Samuel's ministry at the end of, and being the last um, one of actually the prophets before the kings began to reign under Eli, uh, the, the the prophet before Samuel's um, last thing, and they tried to use the Ark of the Covenant as an article of warfare, and of course it didn't work, and it was captured, but then returned, and so uh, David, uh, with his um, blessing of God in his life. Not because of the formula, we've talked about that, but because he just simply loved God. And you look at the Psalms that David wrote. Now, not all of the Psalms in the Bible are written by David, but David wrote a lot of the Psalms and certainly some of the prayers that we see by David. And you see this man was a man who really indeed loved God and had a relationship with him. Not a mechanical thing. Well, if I do this, then God, you're obligated to do that. But simply, Lord, I love you. How can I be blessed? How can, I, how can I serve you to further your, your kingdom? And so uh, God blessed David, as it says here, wherever he went. And verse 7, it says, And David took the shields of gold that had belonged to the servants of Hadazir and brought them to Jerusalem, and also from uh, Beta and from Berohiah, uh, the cities of Hadazir, David took large amounts of bronze. Now, it's interesting here. Most people believe at this particular point that David was beginning to accumulate the things that he was going to allow or he was going to build the temple with, even though he couldn't build it, he was going to get everything ready for it. So, so when his son could build it, he would. Well, when Tori, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated the army of Hadazir, then Tori sent to Joram, his son, to King David to greet him and bless him because he had fought against Hadazir and defeated him. For Hadazir had wars with Tori, and Joram brought with him the articles of silver, articles of gold, and articles of bronze. And King David dedicated these to the Lord along with the silver and gold that he had dedicated from all the nations which he had subdued, from Syria, from Moab, from the people of Ammon, the Philistines, and from Amalek, and from the spoils of Hadazir and the king of Zobah. So David is now accumulating these things, dedicating it to the Lord, um, and uh, I think that the reason why this king paid tribute to David was because he didn't want to get in a war with David. He just says, here, you know, basically I'm buying you off. Here, leave me alone. And it showed that he was willing to um, uh, do this. And so David now is amassing a lot of wealth, um, a lot of power. It says that David made himself a name, verse 13, when he returned from killing 18,000 Syrians in the Valley of Salt. So uh, quite a tremendous military victory. Um, and, you know, again, you, you look at this and you read about how powerful David was. And friends, this is where a lot of people believe that what the nation of Israel was looking for when Jesus Christ came was they were looking for a King David who would come in on a white stallion, break the Roman government off their shoulders, and once again restore Israel back to the days of glory like it was during the time of David. They were looking for a Messiah. But of course, Jesus didn't come to change governments. He came to change hearts. And this is one of the things I believe that they were looking for. They had a desire for a Messiah, 
but not the way God wanted, but in their own liking. And today you'll find the same thing. The people want a Messiah, but they want a Messiah of their own personal design. You know, when the Bible says we come to the cross and we die daily, that does not set well with a lot of people today. And it doesn't even set well sometimes with Christians. If you listen to sometimes some of the things you might see on Christian television, where uh, they are telling you that no matter what it is, you just claim it and it's yours. There's none of this dying stuff or dying to the flesh or dying to your old sin nature. Whatever it is, use the magic formula. Pray the prayer of Jabez. Yeah. And get what you want. You know, and, and it's interesting. They come up with this hocus pocus, almost sorcery type stuff. Now, the prayer of Jabez is in the Bible. It's a prayer about how God would enlarge his borders and bless him. But when Jesus taught the disciples to pray, friends, it wasn't God enlarge my borders, make me rich. But what the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray was, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I think what's also interesting, it was a daily prayer because Jesus had given us this day our daily bread. Now, I think it's noteworthy that Jesus didn't say, now give us this day our daily million. <laughs> that would be nice. You wouldn't have to pray very much because after all, money answereth all things, as we find sometimes in the scripture, but it doesn't really satisfy the heart. So we're to go to God on a daily basis And again, for the minimal things, even our daily bread, friends. And so we look at this and realize that you don't really find in the Lord's Prayer um, that God is going to make us filthy rich. You know what happens oftentimes? And I don't know if you've ever been in this position. But you know, trying to find the will of God for your life sometimes is much easier when you're poor than when you have any kind of resource. You know that? Have you ever noticed that? Um, You know, I heard it said one time... uh, you sometimes may never realize Jesus is all you need till Jesus is all you have. <laughs> well, the reason why that is, is because you're praying about maybe buying something or having something. Well, if you don't have the money to buy it, then you know God has to do it or you're not going to get it. But if you've got money in the bank, then you say, well, God, you know, should I get this? Yes or no. And you're trying to weigh the circumstances where when you don't have the money, you know, the answer is no. Friends, sometimes Money can cause a lot of issues in your life. And that's why I believe Jesus said, how hard is it for the rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, a lot of people say, well, there was this gate over in Israel and it was called the eye of the needle and the camels had to get down and kind of scrunch across. You know what? That's a story and I don't even believe it's true. I think what Jesus was saying there was exactly what Jesus meant. Interesting concept, don't you think? But anyway... The thing is, as he said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because oftentimes in our riches, we don't need God. We don't call upon God. We don't pray. And again, um, as God blesses people financially, and I I do believe that's something that God does. Now, friends, I believe it's simply a a matter of, of being Uh, faithful with what you have. Uh, Malachi tells us it's the only place in the entire scripture where you can test God in in tithes and offerings. When God said, where you have robbed me. And they said, well, where have we robbed you? And he said, well, in tithes and offerings. Well, he said, you you do God's part and see if I won't pour on a blessing upon you, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Now that's a neat thing because, you know, when you shake something, it all settles down and you can get more in it. God's saying, that's what it's going to be like. It's going to be shaken down. It's going to be overflowing. Now I like that. But the thing is, a lot of times we look again for formulas rather than the relationship with God that we want. David began to amass a large amount of wealth, but what he was doing with it was not building himself a bigger palace. 
He had an eye for the things of God. And that, friends, is why I believe David was a man after God's own heart, in spite of oftentimes the things he did wrong. Now, one of the things you'll find as you study the lifestyle of David or the life of David, you'll find that he did a lot of things wrong. But the thing is, he always had a heart for God. And in his life, there was proof of ministry. And what he did was that which, which brought people closer to the kingdom of heaven, not took away from them what they had. And this, I believe, again, friends, is uh, something that David, uh, what made David great. Um, and so you always want to look at what furthers the kingdom of heaven or what furthers the kingdom of you. And if it's furthering the kingdom of you, venture to say that um, uh, you won't be in that position very long because God will remove you and put somebody in that position who will do his work. And David was a person, again, that, that always, even though I believe he had those wrestling times with God, still knew that God was the Lord. So God blessed David. In verse 13, again, David made a name for himself. Uh, when he returned, uh, killing the 18,000 Syrians in the Valley of Salt. He also put in garrisons in Edom, throughout Edom, and put garrisons in all, the, uh, all of Edom. Uh, e- uh, the Edomites became David's servants, and the Lord preserved David wherever he went. So again, we find not only God blessed David, um, uh, preserved him, but we also find it now again here, God preserved him wherever he went. You see, again, it's the blessing of God. It's the hand of God uh, in our life that makes the difference, friends. And so as a Christian, I want to tell you this, you're going to have a lot of enemies in your life. And it's usually people who do nothing for the kingdom of heaven. They may think they're doing something for the kingdom of heaven, but when you really examine their life up close, you find no fruit or very, very, very little. And because you do something right for the kingdom of God, you're a target for their criticisms, their their, uh, nastiness uh, will be focused upon you. And friends, it's just that way. Uh, And so um, God preserved David. And I believe that God preserves us. Because again, uh, it isn't that we do everything right. If, 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 if preserving uh, God's children was based upon us doing everything right, friends, all of us would be fried. But it's the heart behind that that continues to do and be about your father's business in spite of the daily problems and trials and things we all go through, that remaining faithful to God, God blesses. And again, no matter where David went, God preserved him and kept him. And so that's an important thing. Well, it says that um, uh, David reigned over all of Israel. David administered judgment and justice to all the people. Again, this is uh, verse 15. Um, And uh, so in the midst of him and his foreign policy, uh, they still had good government. They still had justice within the nation of Israel, as well as protecting the borders of Israel. And this is what makes a good king. So not only did he preserve the well-being of the country, but he also tried to reestablish law and order and justice uh, within the nation of Israel. And it had crumbled uh, and was uh, in bad shape. In fact, that's one of the reasons why, if you remember, when the people of Israel came to um, Samuel. They said, Samuel, uh, your sons aren't really walking in your ways. Uh, we need a king over us because we don't have somebody to really basically control the government anymore. And so uh, uh, we remember that's where Saul and how Saul came along. But as you really look at the life of Saul, you don't see Saul going out, first of all, seeking God. Second of all, protecting the borders of Israel. And third, as, as we see here, uh, actually giving the people good government. 
Saul was not a good king. Friends, if you really look at the overall view of, of, of Saul, it was all about Saul. <laughs> he was the one that, in fact, when he went and fought one battle, the Bible tells us that uh, on his way back home, he erected a monument to himself. <laughs> Yay, me. <laughs> well, that's kind of a weird thing. He had his view in the wrong place. And again, I believe that he was continually trying to establish himself as king after God had told him through Samuel that God has rejected you as king. And because God had rejected him as king, anything that would threaten his kingliness became a focal point of his wrath. And so we find then this continuous attack of David whom Samuel had anointed the next king over Israel. Now, I'll tell you, friends, if, again, over the last few weeks of us studying, uh, you look at uh, the life of David. You look when he was hiding from uh, Saul in the land of the Philistines, in Gath, as a matter of fact. That's probably why he knew how to take that town so easy, as he lived there once, or had been there once. Uh, certainly, um, you would say, how in the world could God ever fulfill David being the next king over Israel when David is running from Saul, hiding with the Philistines, and at one point after the Kenite issue, willing to go attack Israel, because I think David was pretty much fed up at that point. Here he killed Goliath, uh, uh, the giant that threatened Israel. Uh, he was a national war hero, probably like a Douglas MacArthur, you might say, of the Second World War. And then uh, when Saul heard that he was up in the area of the Kenites, after he had just delivered the Kenites from, uh, David had just delivered the Kenites from the, the Amorites, and they hauled off all their stuff, and David went and got it all back. He was feeling pretty good, and then he prayed and said, Lord, they, they wouldn't really give me into the hand of Saul after all the things I've done for them to help him. And God says, yeah, they will. Yeah, they will. They'll turn you over to Saul. And so that's when David left Israel, and the next thing we find is David's willing to go fight Israel because... Uh, I believe of, of him just giving up. You know, it's interesting. Again, you'd never see how God would ever make David the next king over Israel, but he did. And that's Pastor Mike Kessler, senior pastor at the River Christian Fellowship with Second Samuel on It's Time. If you'd like to have your own copy of today's episode, you can obtain one for free from the daily iTunes podcast. If you want a hard copy, you can give us a call at 800-357-4226 to place your order. And while you do that, don't forget that 2 Samuel is part two of the first and second Samuel series available from the River Christian Fellowship. Please tune in next time for another relevant Bible study on It's Time. It's